Welcome to part two of Nikki Julian's interview. In today's interview, we will continue to talk about her experience with Arizona Wildlife Federation and how she entered the field of environmental education. If you want to learn more about AWF in the field of environmental education, this is the interview to listen to. Thank you once again, Nikki, for taking the time to stop by the DRW podcast show. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please check out my latest product called the Gold Development Plan. You can find this plan on my website at DeannaReeseWilliams.com. Thank you all again for your continued support and remember to continue to be blessed in nature. Yeah, yeah. I wanted, let me just say one thing. Mm -hmm. Part of the point of doing the interviews, because I want people to understand what is this stuff, you know? And so there's a lot of things that it it took me a while to understand the terms. And even though I was doing it, I just didn't know there was a word for it. So if you can explain the difference between nature base, actually, there's nature base in place, and then there's nature preschool. Like, there's so many layers. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of nuances too, and not only in, um, you know, the environmental education field and different types of environmental education, but also, uh, again, just, you know, in early childhood um, and nature and nature programs. So, um, so a lot of people will use the terms interchangeably. So I'm going to, um, you know, give everybody leeway. Like, if you don't know the terms, you just start talking about it because, <laughs> you know, um, for those of us who are who are in it and study it a lot, we can go, oh, and there's this philosophy and that philosophy and that philosophy, or that's that's this program, but this one's a little bit more on, you know, and um, so don't worry about all that. Um, but what I will say is that um, the big difference is how much time is spent outside. So, um, I, and almost every, and I, I would assume every. Um, I don't. I don't do the licensing part of uh, early childhood, but um, you know, every every child care facility and, and uh, early child care facility has that time that they need to go outside. That's that's part of it. And I don't know if it's a licensing regulation or just like, well, duh, kids go outside. You know, right. they have a playground. Um, so so there's that. There's and and that right there. You're getting because you stepped outside of a built environment into the you know air outside. That's that's nature right there, and you can you can build up from there. Um, so uh, I guess one way to kind of think of it is, like I said, how much time do you spend outside? So one way you can think of it is is kind of a, a spectrum where there's indoor, um, and the whole program is set. I mean, I guess there'd be a program that's totally set inside, but you never step outside the door. Um, the other one, um, on the other extreme of that is that there's no building at all. It's just outside. Um, all, uh, peeing happens outside, um, you know, um, skinning the knee, uh, clothing <laughs> changes, everything, you know, happens outside. So I would consider yes. that a forest preschool, whether you're in the forest or whether you're in the tundra or whether you're you're in um, the desert, doesn't matter. Um, so scaling it back a little bit from there is kind of what you've gotten, and that's what I would call a nature-based preschool. And there's there's many of them around the country, but not enough. Um, is there's the building, 
um, but most of the time is spent outdoors. All the focus is on nature. So even uh, even using that indoor space, say to put down your cubby or put down your, your stuff in your cubby and the, the kids getting all together and, and saying that they're here um, and then they go outside. Um, but there's still a building that um, houses the extra clothes, that houses the bathroom, that houses the, the snack. Um, and that's, um, again, there's a lot of them here in the United States. There's not enough of them for sure. Um, there needs to be a lot more, um, but that's, um, and I know for a lot of teachers that that's even beyond their comfort zone, but, um, but there's amazing, amazing programs going on that are doing wonderful work that I would consider them not just nature-based, I would consider them nature preschools. Um, so the Dodge Center is, um, you know, is one that comes to mind. Um, uh, so it's not as, um, you know, for a lot of teachers, the idea of not having a building at all is a, is a little bit out there for them because right. they're on their comfort zone. And hopefully we'll get more of those forest schools uh, around the country. Uh, we have a mutual friend, you know, um, that does Sally Ann, that does uh, forest preschool um, and amazing, you know, amazing work being done with that. Um, but those are also learning institutions. So right. um, you've got, um, you know, at your, at your center, um, you want them to learn, but you want them to do it through, um, through nature, through play, your understanding that they learn through, through play. But you're also looking at, you know, here's where they started. Here's what right. kind of things that they've learned, whether it's um, um, internal or, um, you know, about themselves or uh, social interacting with other kids. And of course, they're growing up all the time. So they're you know, sponges um, or whether it's like, science learning you know you could hit all right. kinds of different stuff with this um and then there's the idea of of strictly play also right. play for its own sake that the play is the is the focus and the important part and the learning is like oh i'm sure they learned something right <laughs> but here's their play and um and so that's uh, that's even a different philosophy, kind of an offshoot from that. And being part of um, the adventure playground movement, um, I uh, when I've gone to the uh, adventure playground conferences, it's really interesting because there's so many of us from the nature play side, and right. um, that we go, oh, but you built this thing, right. it looks like a playground, so that's adventure play but it's not quite nature play and so there's all these little nuances again and um and i am a firm believer that we need every answer yes is my answer to it because right. um you need teacher if no if a teacher is a teacher can be a fantastic teacher but she's not comfortable doing or he she or he not comfortable doing this thing that's that's fine you're raising good people to become good people who are going to raise good people that's that you know that's the main focus of it really, whether it's inside, whether it's nature-based, whether it's nature preschool, whether it's forest school, whether it's adventure play, whether it's nature play. Um, you know, if we're doing this out of the goodness of our hearts and we're doing a good job and we're striving to be better than that, that's the whole point, right? That's the end. Um, right. the, uh, the means maybe can be a little bit different, but we need all those answers. So um, I'm, I'm uh, as I've been learning about environmental education, I've been learning about all these little pieces and parts and going, oh, this is amazing stuff. I mean, what's, um, you know, education for a sustainable planet um, is, is another philosophy of how we, of how we teach 
Um, even just in the nature play world, there are several uh, major movers and shakers, Rusty Keeler, uh, Robin Moore, who I mentioned, uh, Nature Explorer, uh, Eric Nelson. Um, they have different philosophies, but the end is always the same. It's how can we get kids connected with nature? Um, right. So they grow up taking care of it. And, um, but the philosophies or the intentionality or the design is going to look a little bit different. Hey, that's whatever, you know? Um, right. Uh, all of those answers are, are yes answers. Wow. See, I somehow I have to take notes from all of this and make sure people can buy this information. <laughs> so my other question is, if a parent, after hearing all this amazing stuff that AWF has to offer, how can a parent connect? Or is this an option for parents? Or how can an educator connect with you? That's a really good question, Dee, and that's um, and that's what I'll be developing, and I'm really excited about developing that. Um, my mandate is to reach kids directly, um, but as you know, my specialty and where my where I get my jazz hands is connecting with those adults. So, right. um, so what I'm, uh, you know, uh, so we're gonna next weekend we're gonna meet up. I'm gonna meet your family again, and I am so excited one about fishing with your husband. I'm bringing, I'm bringing my fishing pole. Um, the other one is I'm really excited about hanging out with your daughter too, because she yes. is, she's just, she's so sweet. She's full of life. She's, um, she's excited about everything. You know, she still has that child part of herself, but there's still this like wants to be jaded part of her. And it's, and it's oh. just, it's, uh, it's awesome. I love it. And so you I'm really looking forward to hanging out with her. In present day, you haven't okay. seen her because now when I got up today, somebody was working on their Girl Scout GeoSmart patch. Awesome. That's what she was doing. Cool. So like her experience, how she was outdoors six plus months ago versus now, it's game changer. I can't awesome. believe it. I'm like, I think I have a nature child. Yeah. Well, you know, if she has a Girl Scout badge where she needs to talk to somebody that's a career, the career in nature or something, who knows, but um exactly. anyway her and i'll her and i'll connect on that stuff and i and i love connecting i have several friends with with kids i don't have enough friends with young kids and i and i really need to reconnect with all that um because my kids are in their 20s now and they don't have they don't have grandkids for me yet i'm too i'm too young for that yet so I'm <laughs> hoping, hoping they'll hold off for a little bit so um yeah i don't have at this point i don't have much of a way to do that yet and i want to um i'm kind of in the listening stages what is it that that um, parents want or need. Um, I'm a real advocate for doing this in the backyard. Um, you can bird in your backyard, you can garden in your backyard. So, you know, and, and kids play in the backyard all the time. Um, and there's little things that we can do in our backyards to, to, to make them even, even more interesting. So uh, one of the things I did do was Sally Ann and I did um, a Nature Ninos program. So um, our friend, mutual friend Sally Ann is with the New Mexico Wildlife Federation, also the state affiliate of, mm -hmm. of National Wildlife Federation there in New Mexico. They have a wonderful program called Nature Ninos. Um, and uh, Sally does a weekly program with them. Um, and she had me come in and do, um, uh, and do a presentation. Actually, it turned into two because the parents loved it so much, where we talked about how to change those backyards into something a little, um, you know, that incorporates a little bit more nature play. And, um, you know, and the, and the, and the parents were coming in going, oh, there's just nothing in my backyard. I'm like, look at this palette. It's perfect. And I think you said the same thing. I've got nothing back here. I'm going, you've got space and you've got determination and drive and you've got an interest. That's, 
it's like all you need, you know, look, there's right. your spigot. Perfect. We're ready. Right. Um, right. And, and we can transform it from there. And hopefully those parents have had a great time with that, but that's, that's available for people. And I can figure out how to get you the link to that so that people can watch those videos because you'll get ideas from that. Um, so I'm hoping to continue that with uh, Arizona Wildlife Federation. I'm not quite sure, uh, again, what the best methods, methods for that are. So um, I'm very interested in hearing from people what we, what we need. Um, the ECHO program does have a best practices video that people can watch. We have um, on the, um, like I said, uh, National Wildlife Federation just has so many wonderful programs and their website is awesome. So they've got their Gardening for Wildlife program um, is kind of the umbrella for a lot of things and it puts its roots into a lot of different stuff. So um, uh, you can learn how to, how to create uh, backyard habitat better for, for wildlife. So if you're just an individual or just a parent, you, you, you know, you can, you can do that. Uh, if you're a business, you can do that. Um, you can also participate in that program if you're a place of worship. There's the Sacred Grounds program that not only um, encourages people in there, you know, at, at the church grounds, but also um, their congregation to, um, to create these backyard habitats as stewards for the earth, you know, of, of making sure that we are um, mitigating climate change. That's a big one for um, Sacred Grounds program. Really amazing work coming out of uh, Michigan for that program. Um, and then there's also the Eco Schools program, which has been traditionally done at, uh, at a school. And so that's another program that we're gonna get started here in Arizona. Um, and we're reaching out to um, uh, some different schools to ask if they'd be interested in participating in the program. And of course, you know, schools are just kind of all over the board. There's so many things for them to think about uh, this year. So I know it's another like, oh gosh, do I, can I add this to my plate or not? But a lot of those teachers have already been involved in the Eco School program. Um, and wanting to figure out, well, how can I make it stronger? So AWF is going to start taking a, um, a bigger space in that to help teachers like, okay, you've done this before, you're really committed to your gardening, but maybe kids are half, you know, half time or hybrid, you know, what, what can we make happen? And NWF took the Eco Schools program and they, um, they really expanded it out. You don't even have to have a program at your school to be able to do Eco Schools anymore. You can come in as a parent. And that was a huge, huge, amazing shift that they did and really uh, opens a lot of doors for people. So that's at um, uh, nwfecoschools.org. Uh, uh, and, um, oh my goodness. And then there's also, you know, community-based too. Um, uh, I'm hoping to make some more collaborations um, in the state. Uh, I've already got one, hopefully in the works, um, where we're gonna try to make, um, there's, there's three communities in Arizona and Ajo is one of them. Um, that have become community certified wildlife habitats. Um, so that means we've got to have about 40 or 50 people backyards who have created wildlife habitat gardens. But then you also have to educate so that people will 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 create these spaces more. And at businesses, not just not just people's backyards, but um, you know, nature nature programs or either nature based preschools or or nature programs. Uh, after school programs, they're, they're um, you know, they are no brainers uh, for, um, for helping to, to create a, a schoolyard habitat, which is part of that gardening for wildlife and eco schools program, kind of a juncture there. Um, but also um, to make your community more wildlife friendly. And, you know, and, and some people who are gonna listen are gonna go, oh, oh wildlife, that means deer, you know, coming into my garden. Right. Um, 
and scale it down a little bit. For some people in the country, yes, it means deer in the garden. I have, um, I've moved to Payson, Arizona, and I actually have elk poop on my yard. And I'm so excited about that. Um, but I planted mint and I planted strawberries and I thought, oh, the next day they're gonna be gone. Well, it's been a week already and they haven't eaten them yet. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful, um, but you know, I want both of them there. I want the mint and I want the elk. I want, I want the whole, you know, I'm doing right. it for both. Um, right. But for most of us, wildlife in our backyard, especially where I was, I uh, lived in Phoenix for the past almost 10 years, um, you've got a block wall and you've got your garden. And um, what comes in are those lizards and those butterflies and the oh, hummingbirds yeah. and, oh, yeah. um, and the doves. And they are no less charismatic and they're wonderful to watch. They're wonderful to, to know that you're um, helping that animal find a place for it to have a little bit of cover so it can raise its young, uh, for it to be able to get a drink of water, especially when, you know, or to have a habitat. We are, um, you know, the habitat loss is the biggest thing that's happening on our planet right now. Um, are, um, we are taking up a lot of, of space, especially, you know, uh, especially us Americans. And, um, and whatever, you know, if we can create a tiny little patch even if it, even if we're growing corn or we're growing pumpkins or we have uh, preferably even native plants, you know, somewhere on your yard, um, you know, you think of a little butterfly and, you know, a monarch butterfly is, this, it's like two and a half inches long. I mean, we think about how far it is for us to walk a mile, okay, maybe 15 minutes, you know, or whatever. Um, right. That butterfly, it needs to go from backyard to backyard. Um, right. Uh, even you know a lizard or a beetle that their their home territories are even smaller so there's not a lot of choices for them if they get kicked out of one house where the heck are they gonna go and I think that's you know that's something that early early learners can understand that is that their home uh, and their family is so important to them and it's and it's even a little scary for kids to think about an animal not having a place to live or um, you know them not having a place to live. So sometimes we don't even bring that up because it's a little, you know, it's almost too big for them. Um, right. But that's you know you leave any child you know building materials, and that's the first thing they start to make is a is a is a little home. And so it's a very natural thing to encourage you know let's build a home for this butterfly by putting out this flower you know and putting out uh, planting this tree. And it's, uh, like I said, it's kind of no brainer stuff. Right. Um, but maybe maybe it's becoming that way. Maybe um, you know because it's not everywhere. We uh, maybe it's not no-brainer stuff, and we need to you know be making sure we're bringing it back. I think it's really interesting in you explaining just in the backyard like how much you can really impact wildlife. Mm -hmm. And the home that I live in, we discovered this year that we have a mulberry tree. Thanks to Nikki helping me identify what what is this tree, but our yard, our front and backyard has always been, and you know, I'm so like irrationally terrified of birds, but it is like birder paradise, seriously. Between the hummingbirds, we get the brown doves, we get the, uh, the migration that comes through in our county. They come through right through our yard. Yep. We have the Mexican Southern Arizona plants in the front. So we get all kinds of butterflies in the very front. And even though the plant 
drives my better half crazy because like once a seed pod like pops then a new plant comes up on us but we get so many like wildlife and then we have lizards that hang out in the backyard and then of course adding the three chickens it's just like it's this weird space <laughs> like everything's just kind of evolving you know so i think that's really interesting that how as a parent and even as an educator somehow i'm still contributing and didn't know absolutely. it absolutely you know, in the last few years to realize that I, I am actually contributing and having to be mindful not to cut certain things back and making sure that we do cut certain plants at the right time so they'll come back the following year it's really interesting so it is and and it's and and it's definitely a rabbit hole with that but i think it keeps a lot of people from from gardening and so you know my approach to you was like uh, try it right you know, um gardeners kill a lot of plants because they plant a lot of plants and right. death is death is just part of that natural cycle and yeah. and i think a lot of people come into gardening going oh i'm too scared it's gonna die yeah probably will right exactly oh, well. <laughs> you know exactly. but it also might live you know a little bit of air a little bit of sunshine a little bit of water and you know um and and plants give you a lot of warning you know and you can try all kinds of of fun things and i and i'm a real proponent of that is just like um if you know you've got this amazing little garden space back there and um and uh, you could plant just wheat one season and oh it's beautiful wheat <laughs> is just the most beautiful plant growing um you could plant just corn you could plant pumpkins you know and because you're in southern arizona you've got four seasons that you can plant right. and you don't have to listen to like your pumpkins will be growing in like you'll in february march you'll have pumpkins instead right. of october i mean that's just how you know arizona is kind of backwards from all that but um uh but if we if we think that we don't have the space or we think we don't have the skills we do and we can develop those skills and um and and i know i've empowered you which is just a wonderful thing and hopefully you know hopefully we're empowering beyond that not just not just that child but that child that comes home and goes, you know, I, I want I want this plant or I want this butterfly or the parent that comes and picks up your, you know, their child from your preschool and then is like, what are they playing with? What is that? Oh, I didn't know that was okay for them to touch. I'm like, yes. You know? I have a story for that. So I have an outbacker that relocated to Alaska um, in the midst of when COVID really hit and everything. And I want to say it was two weeks ago, the Outbacker's parent sent me a picture of the Outbacker standing next to their giant sunflower that I can seeds to. Yes. And it just like warmed my, my sunflower plant that I gave you, you gave them. That's awesome. You grew it? Yes. Awesome. So an Outbacker actually grew it. I, I just couldn't in Alaska yeah. <laughs> but it was just Wonderful. like it warmed my heart just to know that even though with everything going on somehow this outbacker is still impacted by the time, Absolutely. time Absolutely. that we have together and that just I don't know it, it just kind of like brought tears to me oh just yeah and, and looking at the picture and they're going to keep that forever. That's the thing about early childhood is that it's such an imprinting stage 
that that's why I feel it's almost more important than uh, advocating at this adult level, because once you get them hooked when they're little, they're, they're there for life. Um, exactly. You know, and if we think about um, uh, civilizations that moved with the seasons to be able to take advantage of where game was or where, um, where plants were and we can hunt and gather, um, and even beyond that, when civilizations, when we started to put down, even when we started to put down agriculture, we moved to, an, you know, a lot of civilizations moved to another spot and had another farm somewhere. Well, this season's done. We're going to go to this farm in the other season. Um, right. And children grew up in that. Your brain is wired for the first three years because you've traveled your migration route a few times. Right. And if you think animals do it, you know, weird, we, that's what we're, that's what our brain was programmed for. And we it's, don't have that now. And our brain is still going, wait a minute, whoa. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it's, it's that, you know, everything I needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. Actually, you've learned it a couple years before kindergarten started. And so when we get these, when we get these little kiddos, um, and we think that they're, they're just sitting out in nature watching this butterfly go by or tearing a flower apart, you know, they, and that, I think that's why destruction is so important also, you know, um, a small child gets to know how things are put together by tearing them apart. And that, I'm in no way an advocate for like blowing up the Grand Canyon, you know, I mean, that's, that's different. Um, um, but we've got to uh, rearrange streams and, and move rocks and, and realize what lives underneath them. And, and yeah, you know, you're going to see caddis flies living underneath the rocks. And when you set that rock down somewhere else, you've essentially eradicated the four caddis flies underneath that rock because you've shifted their home six inches and that's their world. Right. right. But if we just tell them not to do that, they'll never understand right. the value in it. So there has to be that little bit of destruction. And it's way easier. The scale of what early childhood destroys as compared to us as adults, right? there's a huge gap. And if we can help, you know, little kids can destroy something so that they're um, uh, daylighting a stream when they're an adult, <laughs> you know, or recycling when they're an adult and right. voting for uh, conservation when they're an adult, that is worth it. Um, and, and I'm sure there are people that are disagree with me on that, but, um, but after seeing, you know, the impact that small children have, their footprint is so small and our footprint as adults is just huge, but our impact on, on, on children connecting to the earth, um, that has, that has immense, immense power. Um, yeah. And we used to have that power, you yeah. know, and when we lost it somewhere, we need to get it back by every means necessary. I agree. So closing remarks, mm -hmm. I, I'm gonna ask kind of a two, I guess, well, maybe a one part question. What would you like to say to, I would say a college student, just an adult in general? Um, I know just from paying attention to what's going on in the world, there are a lot of young adults unsure about what to do. How do I get into this work? And because you've been doing this work for years, how, what would you, what would you suggest? What would, what would you give as a recommendation to dive into environmental ed? Oh, uh, that's a great question. I'm actually um, um, uh, connecting with a high schooler right now who's uh, just starting on that journey of interpretation and environmental education. And, I, and I'm, I'm so happy to be a part of, of this young man's life right now. Um, 
and uh, it's again finding what makes you tick in nature and going from there and and in a few years it might be different um, you know I had no idea that I was going to become an adult onset hunter later on in my life um, I had no idea when I was um, you know identifying plants I was a million miles away from gardening at that time you know right um, so uh, we evolve and we change and and our connection with nature changes and and it flourishes really and what you take from um, from this you know it influences something else that you're doing later on um, right. when when um, when we can study the natural world um, and get our hands on it somehow uh, I use the term the trained eye a lot everybody right. on the planet has the trained eye for something you know right. if you collect model cars you know a lot more about model cars you know my parents used to drive around in an RV I go to visit them I did not have the, the trained eye for the RVs. They all looked exactly the same to me. Right. My kid could pick them out. But if you hand me a plant, I can figure out what family it's in almost immediately. So yeah. I've got this trained eye for plants. Other people have the trained eye for birds. Other people have the trained eye for, um, I can't distinguish still a coos, um, a coos deer from a mule deer. I'm still working on that. And it's, you know, comes down to the tail, you know. Um, so people have the trained eye for things. And if you can get the trained eye in nature on anything, mm -hmm. um, whether it's, um, I, I was um, at one of our programs, there was a professional bass fisherman. Okay. I don't know how you make a living being, being a fisherman. I think that's amazing. Um, but he said, look out over the water and you see where there's kind of this weird little ripple. And he was describing the surface texture of the water. And I'm like, really he cool. knew. He knew that there were bass there and there were bass there and there were bass there because of the ripples on the water. Oh, wow. And so I'm like, I'm a nature girl, but I don't know that. That's amazing. Right. You know, so everybody, when they, when they go out in nature, they're going to find something about it that they love about it. You know, a mountain biker is going to go, that trail is going to give me this awesome air that that's going to give me, um, you know, going up is going to give me a really good workout. You know, they can look at that and they can see it. A kayaker is going to be able to read the water. Um, you know, hunter is going to be able to read the signs uh, of where their animal passed through, or if it's not the season of the animal that they're hunting, they'll go, okay, I'm going to come back here in a few months because then it's going to be deer season. And I knew this was a deer here, um, you know, just by, just by the nipples on, you know, on a branch. Um, and uh, children can learn that too. Um, there's, a, there's a fantastic book called uh, Crinkle Root Series. Um, and he talks about, you know, 50 plants every child should know. Um, and 50 birds, or uh, maybe it's even 10. It's, it's, uh, their children's books are wonderfully drawn. Um, they're all based on the East Coast though. So we need a crinkle root for, for the West Coast for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, for anybody who's starting out in this field, whatever they're excited about, share that. And you don't have to call it teaching. You can, you can call it teaching if you want, but it's mainly, it's sharing. Because when we're teaching, we often have these like, oh, we've got to reach this goal and we've got, and, I, and I'm all for evaluation. I do a lot of it. Um, but let's start with just sharing. And the goal is inspiring somebody else to have the joy of the joy about what you're sharing with them. And, um, you know, if, if we share how much we're enjoying it, that they're going to, you know, get, get wrapped up in that. And then, you know, you start on this journey and a few years later, 
you know, maybe it changes into something else. Um, I've had the pleasure of helping several adults, you know, start getting into the field of environmental ed and interpretation and, and not quite knowing where they wanted to be with it or not quite knowing if it was the place for them. And, um, and some of them still are not in the, in the field because that's not the important part. It was, I want to be able to take a hike with somebody I know, or at least I want to be able to take a hike and, it, and see the right. stuff around me, you know? Yeah, you're looking, but are you really, you know, are you really seeing that stuff? Um, right. And just doing that, that's a fantastic start. Um, as for careers, um, environmental education doesn't pay very much at all. Um, and often when we start, we have to start from the very bottom of the heap. You know, I was, um, I was in my late thirties when I got this job at Desert Botanical Garden and I had years of uh, science-based um, plant information behind me, but I still started at $11 an hour. Um, and I still started part-time. Um, and I'm not there anymore. I, you know, I quickly moved on from that. Um, but that's, that's kind of the sad part is that for all of education, it's really not, um, for, for the um, immense amount of value that educators give our children. We are so underpaid. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, because we are shaping the generations to come. We really are. Um, and, and so that's something to think about with environmental education is that it's just, you got to start off, you know, understanding that you're doing it because you love doing it. Um, and however you can make that happen, whether it's um, volunteering um, or going to participating in the Summer Institute or having your, um, your neighbor over um, to teach them a little bit about gardening. There are so many places to volunteer with um, when it comes to any type of, of environmental anything. There's just, right. um, you know, whether it's outdoor recreation or wildlife or plants, it's just, there's, there's so much opportunity. And once you start doing that, that gives you, uh, and that, that experience accounts for a lot when, um, when agencies are hiring. Um, even if it's volunteer experience, it counts for a lot. Um, so, you know, work, work that angle for sure. And then uh, whatever jobs come your way, whether they're uh, seasonal, whether it's long-term, whether it's um, part-time, and those you can, they can build upon, they can build upon each other. So if somebody's just starting to get into this career, you know, find what you like about it. If wildlife's your thing, follow that track. And then something's gonna happen within a few years and you'll be like, oh my God, but it's how this, how wildlife connects with, blah, and I right. gotta do that. Okay, well then you go on that path. And because you've already been in that field, um, that comes with you to the next location, you know, and, um, and especially with environmental education. Uh, because so many of us are science communicators, we can talk about whatever, you know. Um, right. I don't. Someday I'll get stars, and I just don't yet, but I, I will someday. Um, but if somebody comes in and says, "I want you to give an environmental education program," I'm going to fly you to New Hampshire. I'm like, I don't know that ecosystem, but I can talk. I can do an environmental education program for four hours the next day. Right. Right. Um, so you know, and and uh, it's we can all get we can all you know get to that stage because we're gonna we're gonna have whatever it is we're excited about whether it's birds or clouds or flowers or right how it all fits together you know anyway well thank you so much nikki for coming on today it thank was you. such a pleasure talking with you and listening and just hearing your journey as an environmental educator 
and then also talking to us about um, Arizona Wildlife Federation. And I can't wait to continue our collaboration with Outback Learning in with AAAE, which is Arizona Association Environmental Ed, and our Early Childhood Education Working Group. That's a mouthful. <laughs> but most importantly, I just, I really value our friendship and just the times that we've had opportunities to just connect and talk. And so I'm very thankful that you showed up today and just was willing to share your story and willing to share the work that you do present day. Thank you. Thank you for letting me talk your ear off, Dee. And, and uh, thank you all who are listening uh, for being interested in this topic. That's where it starts. Awesome. Thank you so much.